Life Management Science Labs would like to acknowledge that we live and produce this podcast on the traditional lands of the Wurundjeri people. We'd also like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the lands of our listeners and our international colleagues. We'd like to pay our respects to their elders past, present and emerging. Hey everyone and welcome to All Together, the Family Science Insights Podcast, produced by LMSL, the Life Management Science Labs. We are champions of life management science, providing structured insights informed by science and inspired by practice on key aspects of conscious living. Each week we bring you scientific and practical insights on each element with the expert knowledge of professionals in the field. I'm your host, Dina Sargent. Let's get started. Hey guys, and welcome back to another episode. Now, divorce and separation is something that families understand and relate to all too well. While we hear the negative reputation with the whole idea of separation, we are joined by a guest who claims there is a way to have a good divorce. Wendy Paris is a journalist, author of Splitopia, which looks into today's changes in family structure and has a variety of points from divorced families, psychologists, lawyers, and more. So thank you so much for joining me on the show today, Wendy. I'm glad to be here. It's so interesting when you're talking about um, the whole idea of a good divorce and separation, because I think we get such a bad rep when it comes to just the idea when we see custody battles and we see all these different things about separation that sort of kicks in. And how does that idea really fit in with today's world of just finding a way to be coexisting with your ex-partner? Okay, I have two answers for that. Um, When I started my book, I was really... Um, surprised by the negative feedback that my friends were giving me. My husband and I just thought, okay, we're going to get along better if we're not married. We had a small child. We thought we would be able to parent better if we weren't so frustrated, if we weren't fighting. All the research shows that high conflict is what really harms kids, whether parents are married or divorced. And it wasn't like we had this kind of open high conflict, but there was this kind of simmering conflict. So we were, you know, we, we had a very optimistic view about our ability to just not be married anymore. And we were in New York, like a very kind of open-minded crowd. And we were getting this, oh, you know, you're in the honeymoon phase now. It's going to get worse. And, you know, your child's going to be destroyed. And then these stories of people, everybody has had, you know, know, knows somebody who had a bad divorce or, you know, didn't really struggle when their parents got divorced. So I, I was, I started this project by saying, where is this coming from? Like, where is this negative feedback coming from? It doesn't seem to fit with, you know, my experience. My parents were divorced um, when I was five and I grew up living with my mom, but very close to my dad and they didn't fight and I didn't have this experience. And I resented when I was young, when people would say like, oh, your parents are divorced. Like this was, you know, something to something to be pitied and 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 they could be families with all kinds of struggles and you know we didn't have all kinds of struggles so I had you know I had a kind of a vested interest in understanding Mm -hmm. what makes a good divorce versus a bad divorce and where was this negative feedback coming from and so what I discovered is that um, the kind of norm around family is so different today than it was in the 1970s when uh, no-fault divorce um, was made legal in the United States so um in the United States, which is where I, I started, you guys are way ahead of, of us in Australia, you're way ahead of us in terms of a kind of compassionate decoupling. But in the United States, prior to 1970, you had to um, accuse your spouse of like a felony, basically, to get divorced. So it was really <laughs> hard to do. So after no fault, that that changed things and people started getting divorced. In 1970, there wasn't an understanding of the importance of the father. So often during divorce, kids would lose contact with their fathers, men would lose contact with their children. 
many women were not working. So after divorce, women would be very vulnerable economically. Because divorce hadn't been um, the norm, if your parents were divorced, you'd be like the only kid in the classroom maybe with divorced parents. So all these things um, created a, a scenario that you know my friends were maybe thinking about from the 70s or the 80s or even the 90s. But now we split up in 2012. Like half of the kids in the classroom have divorced parents if their parents were even married, right? And maybe they're, you know, maybe they're two men or maybe it's a single mom. Like it's not, you know, this, the yep. social environment is very different. Um, teachers are much more familiar with this. Women are working. So if you get divorced, there are certainly many stories in my book where the woman was making more money than the man and the woman wound up paying child support or alimony. So women aren't vulnerable in this way, um, you know, to not, not having any way to be economically self-sufficient. There's been a, just a huge change in the understanding of the importance of the father as a real parent. So it's much more common to have these joint custody arrangements, which are problematic you know, or challenging themselves, but they're not the same as like the father being kicked to the curb. Um, everybody here goes to therapy or like lots of people do. So it's not so unusual to reach out for support if you need it. That was not the case in the past. So I think that when you look at this 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 idea that divorce is so terrible, we're often really stuck in a, in an old story. Um, certainly, it's challenging, uh, but it's not it's it's not it's, it does not have to be the um, the kind of calamity that you know it really it really could be in the past. And then and then I would say my second. So that was sort of I went into it. You know, what is a good yeah. divorce? Right, a good divorce is like um, you do it together you maintain compassion i have lots of you know ideas in my book but you don't you don't hire lawyers and spend all your money fighting over who gets the money like you know like my idea of a good divorce originally was like a very compatible divorce and then since then i've 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 started to think that you know another way to say it is that even though divorce is really hard you can still have a good life even while you're going through it so mm-hmm. You know, sometimes it's not so easy to get your spouse on board, or sometimes you're the one who cannot uh, rein in your emotions. But that, you know, what you're doing in your life, uh, what makes your life enriching, what supports your well-being, these are things you can control, even if the the relationship with your spouse and then your ex-spouse isn't like a good relationship. Mm-hmm. Does that make and sense? No, it makes total sense. I think especially when it comes to when we see how the media and how TV shows really show separation, they show divorce, they show one kid just barely having contact with the other, with one of the other parents that they don't live with. And that's such a common thing. Like I remember in school, like you said, half the kids in class came from divorced parents or came from parents, came from an upbringing where they barely have any communication with the other parent that they hardly ever see. And there's that huge, um, cause my parents are separated as well. And they're, and it's so interesting to now see it as an adult and seeing it cause they divorced, um, separated about, I think about a year ago. So I'm 25 now, they separated 24 and I have never heard of parents separating when the, their child is like in their adulthood. You always hear it when they're in like their teenagers. Okay, that's so normal for a parent to be divorced, but to hear it when like I'm in my twenties and for that to happen, it's such a different okay. experience again. Just having to Do you have younger siblings? Yes, I have one younger sibling. 
I mean, who's because it's 21. Not, it's 21. It's not so uncommon for people to get divorced after kids go away to college or finish college. And we have mm-hmm. a, lot, a lot of people, um, maybe you're holding it together. I'm not saying this about your parents, but, you know, a lot of people, certainly who I interviewed, are kind of holding it together because they, they don't want to have to deal with co-parenting. So I, it doesn't seem so yeah. strange to me that, you know, that at your age and the age of your sibling. Yeah, it's, I think for me, because I've never heard it myself yeah. and I've never yeah. heard of like that yeah. being, it being something that mm. was never really, something that was even discussed throughout throughout our whole upbringing of that possibility. Wow. So it was, it was an interesting journey. And I think especially when it comes mm. to when they first told me, I was like, okay, at least can you just promise that you guys would have some communication, that we wouldn't have to like, um, have anything between the two. And it's so nice that this episode came about because we're talking about good divorce and my parents have the utmost respect for each other, which is amazing to see. Like they're both supporting each other, um, not just financially, but emotionally as well. Like they're both really happy for each other whenever something good happens. And seeing the fact that that is something that is common, is a bit more common now than it used to be. Um, at least when I was a teenager, you always heard about just amount of times that the parents are fighting when they're trying to get fighting for custody or fighting for that. It's so interesting to sort of see how it's a little bit more of a positive impact than it used to be. It's nice to hear. You know, it's important. What they're doing is really important because, um, you know, one of the one of the psychiatrists in my book um, talks about when one parent is not doing what your parents are doing, but instead bad mouthing the other. Or um, there's a, an, an extreme version. It's called parental alienation, where one parent really alienates the other child, the child from the other parent. The 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 the, the problem with that, like besides it, you know, being just a bad thing to do is that the child is both parents, right? So mm-hmm. so the way this psychi- psychologist or psychiatrist was saying is, if you say, you know, your dad is a dirtbag, you're saying part of you is a dirtbag, you know, this kind of, th- so, so when, if parents can do what your parents are doing, which is um, express appreciation, highlight the strengths of the other parent, I mean, not to the point of confusing the child, like, well, why did you get divorced? You know, that that's always sort of been in the back of my mind a little bit, because I think- yeah. You know, kids generally would like their parents to get remarried. You know, I mean, there is that. Somebody I spoke to said, "Well, you shouldn't be so close to your ex because it'll confuse your child, and and he'll he'll want you to get remarried." And I feel like that's going to happen anyway. You know, that's that is just a sort of. I thought my parents were going to get back together when I was like forty five, and and it, yeah. that was like the screen. And they'd been divorced for forty years. They were both single. They were hanging out, and there was this moment of like. You know, maybe my family will reunite and I, you know, and it seemed great. It seemed great. Like, you know, I've lived half of my adult, half of my adult life and, you know, I was still hoping, but, 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 you know, to be able to, so that's so right. We don't live in a perfect world, but to be able to say, yeah, your dad is really great at this. Or I was taking my son rock climbing when he was little and he was good. He was pretty good at it. And I was really conscious of saying, well, you may be like a really good rock climber. Your dad is a really good rock climber. Like this is a, you know, this is a characteristic you may inherit to really try to um, keep the, not as much when you're, you're, you're older, but but mm-hmm. still, but certainly for younger kids, to keep the other parent in mind, to keep the other parent a little bit in the house, like present in the child's mind so the child doesn't have this sense of being so divided, you know, that mm-hmm. the, the child lives in two completely separate homes. And then to 
yeah, to express uh, joy at the other parent's success, like what you're saying with your parents. These are really, really supportive things to do for a child. And they, I, I also think that they are beneficial to your own well-being because, you know, another problem when when people have a lot of anger and divorce often, mm-hmm. and another problem with taking this, as some, somebody said in my book, um, uh, all the men are, are narcissists and all the women are um, bipolar. Like this is, you know, when you talk to somebody who's divorced, right? It's like, oh, she's so bipolar. You know, this is this yeah. kind of constant, right? Because, because, <laughs> because, you know, men and women maybe have a tendency toward more emotionality or more, you know, I don't know, self-focused. But, but, but the problem when you do that, you know, when you label this person you were married to a villain, you're also saying, yeah, and I chose this person. So it's something, mm-hmm. you know, you're, it's negative to you. And it's, there's enough negativity when you're, breaking up the the family that you've built um there's enough negativity that you don't want to you don't want to be adding to it you know you don't want to you don't you, you want to like be out in front with a with a with a positive story for yourself uh and i think that bad mouthing your ex even you know people do it 10 years 20 years later it's it's tempting but it's um it's damaging to your children it's not great for your community and it's not it's not nice and it's not it's not really being so, so giving yourself so much respect mm-hmm. no that's a, that's a really interesting point and I would love to like dive into that a little bit further um, a little bit later in the show but before I do I love to do a little icebreaker um, just before each show just to get to know you as a person before you get to know you as an expert on today's show so just share the first thing that sort of comes to your mind when I ask you these different areas and these different things as well so the first one is a favorite book of yours. I was just looking at um, the essays of E.B. White last night because we were supposed to have a hurricane here in uh, in Southern California where I am, and it just it didn't come. And uh, he has this great essay from like 1952 about listening to the radio and getting all hyped up. You know, the hurricane is coming, the hurricane. And then he said at one point he had to go outside to get a break from the storm because nothing was happening outside. It was all on the radio. So yeah. he's one of my favorite writers and we were just looking at it. Oh, that's really interesting. That sounds that sounds like a really um, metaphorical, metaphorical way of thinking oh, about things as well. Yeah, yeah. interesting. That's funny. Yeah, like worth Yeah, yeah. Yeah, a lot of times it's the story, right? More than what's happening is the story. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, um, how about your most recent movie that you've seen? I uh, just went to see um, Past Lives, which is a Korean film. Um, okay. It's sort of a romance, but it's, I think, more about um, maybe uh, the experience of being an immigrant. Oh, wow. My, we watched, my son and I watched... Uh, a lot of Korean dramas over the pandemic, like hundreds of hours of Korean dramas. And he started studying yeah. Korean and took Korean in ninth grade at the community college. And we went to South Korea this summer after all this sort of yeah. focus. So um, he's over it now, but I'm still a little bit into it. <laughs> no, Korean dramas is where it's at when during COVID. That was the only thing that we had to look forward to. <laughs> yes. Yes. It was great. <laughs> How about your most listened to podcast? You know, I'm not sure, but I would like to plug a friend of mine works on um, the Hidden Brain podcast, okay. which is um, out of the United States, and it's about um, um, the brain and how the brain works and, you know, creativity, resilience, different aspects of cognition. Mm-hmm. Wow, that's no, that's a very interesting podcast to, to listen to. It's definitely not an easy listen. It's definitely yeah, something yeah. you probably have to focus on. <laughs> yeah. 
That's funny. Yeah, good point. Good point. Yeah. <laughs> Interesting. How about how about a famous role model that you have? I don't know. You know, I used to. That's. I don't know. I. I. Uh, I, 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 there's so many. I, I, uh, I, I was. We were recently watching something with Audrey Hepburn, and she was sort of a role model of style, right? I think there's yep. different. I think there's. I just joined a new gym, and the yoga instructor is like a role model of fitness. I don't know. I feel like there's a lot of. Um, Evie Way was a role model for writing. He wrote essays and stories. Um, I like to. I like to uh, try to find role models in real life for. Um, issues in my life. Like I've had a role model, parenting, like a parenting mentor, a parenting role model, like over the course of my son's life. I always try to find somebody. I have a lot of role models um, in my author community. Mm -hmm. Um, So I guess I, I guess I, maybe I think about that more as a um, kind of an ongoing, uh, you know, in the moment. My mother was a big role model. Yeah, no, I I can see that. I, I definitely agree when it comes to there's not there's different role models for different things. Yeah, there's not one particular yeah. person for me, especially like like my mother is my role model in one aspect, but my um, seventh grade teacher is a role model for another aspect of mine, and it still remembers a lot of things to this day. So like I think different people play a different role model in different areas. Yeah, and I think it's helpful to try to keep your eye out for them. And if you feel like you're sort of struggling in an area to to look around, like I've been really, I lost my whole, I used to be like really into fitness and I just lost it during the Korean drama snacks from Trader Joe's phase, yeah. you know, the COVID, otherwise known as COVID, like the baking everyday phase. And um, yeah. <laughs> so, so seeing this yoga instructor in the gym and being like, ah, I want to look like that, like just something like that really is helpful. Like it's, yeah. you know, to have, to have a vision of somebody, somebody doing something, it makes it seem more like realistic or approachable. Yeah, no, I agree with that. Um, how about a recent course that you've completed? You know, I did a degree, I did a master's degree in social work over the pandemic. Oh, um, wow. You know, it was, everything was online. So I did a, mm-hmm. an online master's degree, which was, which was, you know, like two and a half years and not, not, um, it wasn't like a 16 week course, but, um, but I completed yeah. it. No, I think I, I did a master's degree just because of the pandemic as well. And I What'd just you do? did, I did media. So I went into just doing a master's degree in media. I was like, okay, I'm bored. There's no work. Let's go right. and do something. Right. So, Good for you. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think there was something special about having it done online as well. It was just just being able to focus on that solely and not having to play, pay for petrol or fuel for anything was amazing. So that was the main point for me. Well, yeah. Another good point. It's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. Now, talking about um, separation, talking about divorce, but first there has to be sort of the idea of family. And I know that everyone has a very different definition or different understanding as to what family is to them. So what would you say your definition and your understanding of the whole idea of family is? I think it's so important. And I realized like all the books that I liked growing up were about families and partly probably because my parents were divorced and you know, when that happens, you can have step relatives that maybe you wouldn't have chosen in your family. They don't feel like your family. So, you know, family is, there's a lot of talk now about um, the family you've selected. You know, there's people, people, 
use it in different in different ways. I I feel like in my own family, um, I think I grew up with an idea that if you've been married, that that person is in your family, and even if you stop being married, that person is in your family. Mm-hmm. Um, I I don't think this is everybody's idea, but uh, I consider my mother in law my mother in law, and like actually she's like my mother ex-law, I guess, because, you know, I'm not actually still married to her son, but I, you know, because I was very close to her and I've remained close to her and it feels important to me um, to maintain that. And um, also like my ex-husband's family is my son's family. So I feel like it's important for me to support his connection to his other side of the family. Um, I mean, it's not like a very clear answer, but uh, I I guess I, yeah. No, I think that's a very, it shows the whole understanding of what family is. It's not just like, it can be ex-partners and still be family. It can be ex-mother-in-laws are still family. And it's some people that you feel a huge connection to. So I definitely see your understanding to it. A lot of people do feel that this, you know, that their friends are their family and that, and they'll, and they, and, but I, I guess I, I like that idea and I love my friends, but I I think personally, I feel like family is more like, like either blood ties or um, <clears throat> through marriage. But I think that's not that common of a view now. I think that people in general feel more mm-hmm. that family is, is a, you know, but this, I'll just to say like one of the things that's so scary about divorce is that uh, friends can come and go. And, and when you're married, you, I, you know, you have this feeling that I have, this person has my back, that this person is my family. This person is there for me always. So my ex-husband and I have really chosen to keep that even, um, you know, even at times we've had fallings out since our divorce, but we've chosen to keep that sense that this person is in my family. I think it's too scary to have children together and not feel that the, that the other parent is, is part of your family. I, I, I would encourage people to try to have that inclusivity um, mm-hmm. with if you have children with with your former spouse because it's it's really hard if you don't feel like your former spouse has your well being in mind um, and if you don't have that person's well being in mind I think there's something very disjointed um, it's like when family members stop talking to each other you know there's this it has this yeah. wrong feeling in a way that's quite different than if a friend breaks up with you. Yeah, no, I I definitely see, especially when family members sort of don't stop talking to each other, you definitely feel that a little bit more and you definitely, and there's also that idea that they're always going to be in your life. So I definitely can see your point. Yeah. I mean, I think it's maybe offensive an offensive point to some people who really are leaning on their, you know, their family of choice over their family of origin. And I, you know, and again, I like, I really do understand that. Mm -hmm. Um, but I think that's, you know, if you if you like your family enough that you can hang on to them. There's there's just a lot of research, like, you know, a lot of su- research suggesting that better to set boundaries around family members than to cut them out, you know, if you can. And and yeah. I think this this could this could hold true with like a family of choice. Oh yeah. No, I I think so for sure. Now, what do you think that the position of a family holds in today's society? Does it still hold the same importance? that it has done decades ago. I, I, I wish I wish that it did. There's a lot, the, to some degree, there's a lot of writing about the breakdown of the family in the United States, you know, the mm-hmm. breakdown of the family, people live 
all over the place in this gigantic country. We have this huge homeless problem and there's a piece of it which is like people can't go home. They, you know, or they are, they're 3,000 miles away or they are alienated from their family or we have this gigantic foster care crisis here in Los Angeles where I live. There's like 30,000 kids in the foster care system. They don't have parents. Um, and I, I think that the breakdown of the family contributes to like a sense of alienation and a sense of isolation and loneliness and mm -hmm. precariousness. So I am, I'm in favor. I mean, I feel like I now sound like some like more conservative person than I would have sounded like when I was your age, but I am really like, I'm really in favor of trying to strengthen families. And um, I, I'm not like I moved 1500 miles away to go to college. I know in Australia, that's not so common, but here it's like very common that you mm -hmm. should, you should, you know, we're on the West coast. My son should go to college on the East coast. And I'm not when I went to college, I was in favor of that, but now I'm not as in favor of that. You know, I think if you mm -hmm. can live where your family lives and make a life, you've got a lot more support and it would be better. So again, I think this is maybe not the most popular position, but uh, I just, I guess I want us to take seriously the role of our family members and um, not always make a choice that is that is going to be distancing. Mm -hmm. No, I, I can definitely understand that. I think, um, I mean, in comparison to the US, I think you're, you're right when you said that we don't usually travel onto different states in order to go to school. There's usually there's three options in Melbourne, at least. There's usually like four or five options that you can go to university here and still live at home. And I do that. I did that when I was studying. So there's that whole idea of the family support is very different. No, I pitched this to my son. Like, if we were in Australia, you would just go to college at UCLA. Like, you know, you could yeah. stay here in LA, but this, you know, this is not, this is, I don't know, it's not really done here to the same degree. Yeah. So when talking about this process of separation, what are some of the biggest and most common challenges that families face during that process? Okay, I would like to uh, make a plug for my seven principles of parting as a way to mm -hmm. answer that question. So I came up when I was working on my book, I came up with seven principles of parting. And these are these are like guideposts or things to stick to. And and I think that they address um, address these issues. So can I tell you them? Is that is yes, this a good go place to it. do that? Okay. Okay. So uh, my first one is commit to self-compassion. And because one of the challenges, one of the struggles that happens in divorce, that was your question, right? Like, what are the main challenges? Or, yes. Yeah. So um, uh, people feel a tremendous um, amount of remorse or um, guilt or fear or why did I do this or what's wrong with me? This intense self-judgment. And so um, self-compassion, it turns out, correlates with um, recuperation after divorce. And there's like studies on this. And so I have a bunch of information about that. So, so, so one of the challenges is like a negative narrative, you know, judgment, shame, embarrassment. And so self-compassion is, is, is to counter that. The second one I have is take ownership of the future and the past. And this is coming from, again, but that this feeling that um, either you feel victimized, like he did this to me, he wrecked my life. And even if you are a victim, that, 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 taking on the feeling of victimization makes it really hard to move forward because you're, you know, you're putting yourself in the position that, well, there's nothing I can do because it was done to me. So mm -hmm. that sense of um, victimization and also that your life is out of control, you know, it feels like a hurricane hit the house, you know, there's this, 
this like unlike the one we just had that didn't happen here in LA this 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 sense of chaos so that's another you know another main thing is just so much is changing mm-hmm. um I have a one of my principles is build a toolkit for the transition and this is also to address this like who's going to make coffee in the morning my husband just moved out or how am I going to take the trash out he took the trash out these are like very kind of basic logistical things that suddenly you've you've organized your life for two people to manage it and now it's on one and that's mm-hmm. like a, that's a real thing and so you know this idea of build a toolkit for the transition is um, coming up with new routines, figuring out who's going to be your emergency your emergency responder, who you're going to call if you're upset or worried. Like maybe it's not going to be your spouse, your former spouse. Uh, who are you going to talk to when you have this kind of emotional flare up? So that 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 emotional and logistical chaos is another thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I have don't confuse confuse filing with closure as a aspect of divorce, where people will rush to. Um, we just got to get this paperwork done. As soon as we're legally divorced, you know, everything will be fine. And um, that paperwork doesn't make everything fine. And that rushing can make people really vulnerable to uh, super bad advice from friends who are encouraging them to get like the most aggressive lawyer and to turn this thing into a fight. And I mean, we've all heard stories of people who started out like we're going to have a good divorce. And then friends are like whispering in their ear, oh, you know, she's going to take you for everything you have or you know, he's probably hiding money and it's very easy when you're, you feel like a hurricane has hit the house and, you know, and you have uh, fear and anxiety, maybe you have shame and remorse. It's very easy to be vulnerable to that kind of um, really negative kind of fear mongering. And so I have don't confuse filing with closure to say like closure takes a, a long time and it's emotional. And if you can go to a mediator instead of an aggressive lawyer, you're going to have a better situation. Yeah. Um, I have a combat anger with empathy is one of my principles because again, people can really feel consumed with anger. Um, One of the experts in my book said, anger is hurt wearing a mask. Uh, You know, we often confuse hurt. We'll feel hurt and we think we're angry or we'll go toward anger because it gives us kind of a boost, but that's fine. But that kind of sustained anger is, 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 um, really corrosive um, mm-hmm. and, and not good for your well-being. Um, I have resist the urge to compare as one of my principles. And because one of the one of the challenges in divorce is you compare um, to families doing better and you feel like, oh, look at all my friends. They didn't get divorced. What's wrong with me? And people compare to really horrible divorces, like, look what happened to my next door neighbor. Her husband took everything and she's, you know, living under a bridge and that's going to happen to me. So this, 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 because you're, you're like the foundation is cracked in your own house. It's very hard to stay self-referential. It's very easy to feel less than somebody and then worry that you're going to drop down. And so to resist that and to stay, you know, centered in your own life, this is your divorce, this is your marriage. Um, and then my fi- my final principle of parting is create positive moments. And this comes from research that shows that negative evo- emotions are far more potent and gripping than positive ones, negative emotions and negative experiences. And so the uh, psychologist Barbara Fredrickson came up with this ratio three to one as kind of a loose, you need like three positive moments to counteract one negative one. And so because divorce inherently 
uh, has so many negative components, even if it's for the best and it's what you want. Mm-hmm. Um, that 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 I you know my solution is to plan out your day and make sure you're putting in some positive moments, small things. They can be small things like walk to the park and look at the sunset. Like they don't have to be huge things, but to really put in positive moments so that you unbalance uh, your day has has positive moments and you can have more resilience when if something, you know, you find yourself feeling lonely or you are having fights with a lawyer or something. Mm-hmm. I think especially when it comes to, I think you were talking about the need to compare with other, with your friends and with other um other people that you've heard yeah and you have you have that that's such a true thing that I didn't really think about until until you mentioned it because you don't really realize that you're doing it until you're already doing it and you're already comparing okay this is this is what I've heard that has happened before so I need to make sure that that doesn't happen to me where it's like the person that you're separating from is could be a completely different person than what they were Separating is a from. completely different person, yeah. right? <laughs> the person is right, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So it's it's really interesting to see how much we compare from personalities that are just completely different, and the way the reactions of things. Even though you're, you're the person you're separating from, your ex partner can be the most humble and the most generous person. You'd still end up comparing yourself to other people just because there's that chance that things could happen. There's a chance that, so it's this very interesting thing that I only just thought of until just then, which is, um, no, that's a, it's a very true thing. And do you know, why do we feel that need to sort of compare um, with other people? You know, you know, humans are social creatures, right? And um, this is this is sort of this comes up if you like read about gossip and the use of gossip, it's to try to, you know, it's people do it for lots of negative reasons, but positive reasons are it helps you kind of know what the parameters are, what's acceptable in your social circle, what other people have done. So we definitely, we were talking earlier about role models. So we definitely look to others, right? We look mm-hmm. to, I used to do in New York, I used to live in New York and I would, if I was trying to make a decision, like, should I take this job? I would just look at some random woman and and said, well, how does it look on her? What would, if she had this job, like, what do I think of her with this job? You know, it's, it's kind of how you see yourselves. So if you, you know, in divorce, this is so tricky, right? We want to look around and see what people have done and, and find role models like, oh, wow, they use this mediator and they really had a good conversation and they've come up with a good um, parenting plan or financial plan. And you know, maybe that mediator would be a good person for me or, wow, they, you know, they made a very organized calendar for their children. If they're co-parenting, I should make an organized calendar. You know, you want, you like, it's just like, mm-hmm. you want to get the positive. Um, but I, but in all those things you have to say, and is that realistic for me? And does that relate to me? So I think it's, it's, you know, it's human nature that we, we are, we, we exist in a society and it's, it's why, you know, it's why we feel lo- one of the reasons we feel so bereft when we're alone, you know, why mm-hmm. loneliness is, is um, uh, bad for your health because we, I always say, I always think about like humans and dogs, right? Like you can see it on dogs, like dogs want to be with other dogs or dogs want to be with other humans. And we're, you know, we have this very similar in this way of, of um, seeing ourselves in others. Uh, but, you know, the thing with comparison is that we'll definitely work ourselves up, um, you know, into a panic because we've seen something just go so wrong for someone else. 
Uh, and we need to stop and say, okay, what are all the ways in which you know, I'm not like that person. My spouse is not like that person. And I can, in fact, make decisions that are different than that person's. You know, sometimes mm-hmm. these bad stories can be instructive that we'll do that. But we also will do this thing of, wow, that person has a better life than I do. And and again, not saying, well, what are the differences between me and that person? And, and you know, is there anything I want to take from that that's instructive? But, I, I, you know, it's very easy for us to um, make ourselves feel bad, like all, you know, all on our own. Yep. No, I think our worst critic is ourselves. And I definitely see that we're always trying to better ourselves by comparing, not by actually doing things to be better, (laughs) but by saying, okay, we are needing to be better than this other person. So it's, it's a very interesting dynamic that we have in ourselves. Yeah. 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 And we'll forget to say, I mean, I've been, I've been just, you know, I've been working with a, a coach recently and, and, uh, like on time management, you know, and I have a list of things I've done and or I was going to do. And then I only did, you know, one and I didn't do these three. And mm-hmm. I wanted to talk about why didn't I do these three? And this coach I'm working with said, doesn't matter why you didn't do those three. You did the one. Like, like, to, like we don't, we have a tendency to sort of downplay the things mm-hmm. we're doing well and then to really highlight for ourselves the things that we're not quite doing well enough. I think, you know, because we want to improve. Yeah, no, I definitely think so. Um, speaking of improving, there, I want to ask, what are some of the strategies and some effective strategies for co-parenting and maintaining healthy communication after separation that you have experienced yourself? Well, this thing about praising your ex is, is a good idea. It's really helpful. Um, um, having empathy for your ex is, is so helpful. Um, when you find yourself infuriated to stop and, and, and think about it from that person's perspective. Um, a woman I interviewed in my book, her husband was working in Alaska, which is not where they lived. He cheated on her. He decided he wanted to get divorced and move to Alaska with this woman he had cheated. And she was left with the two kids trying to go to college. She hadn't finished college so she could get a good job wherever they were living. I can't remember in the United States. And she said, you know, all her friends are like, aren't you so angry? Aren't you, you know, aren't you so pissed off at him? And she said, I, 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 I have no idea what it's like to have to live in Alaska because that's where my job is and the woman I love is and to be so many thousands of miles away from my children. Like, I have no idea. He says it tears him apart and, and, and I believe him. And, you know, that's just an example where, sure, he left her and it's terrible. On the other hand, he's, he's in a really bad situation. So, it can be it can it can be hard to do, but I I really I would challenge anybody if if you feel like you know your spouse got everything and you're you know you're left in a in a much in an inferior position. I really I would challenge you to really think about okay, well, what are some of the challenges your spouse is ha- having? What are some of the struggles? Even if it's something like in my own case, you know, my next husband like did not want to get divorced. I mean, as soon as I suggested it, he was very quick to get a new girlfriend, but. But he, you know, he, I mean, once we split up, he, you know, mm-hmm. he was very quick to, but he, 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 you know, he was pretty devastated. And, and I, you know, I'm, I'm in that, right? I, I, he got divorced because we weren't able to hold it together and I was part of that we. So, um, you know, that would be another, I guess, another thing with co-parenting, um, because all of that helps you have like uh, the well-being of your co-parent in mind, which is helpful. And you want your co-parent to have your well-being in mind. You see you see families where 
that parents do not care about each other. And it's really mm-hmm. hard. And it's easy for that to become um, a lot of fighting over how many extra hours on the parenting plan did you get or did I get? You know, that that I, I think if you if you can be empathetic and um, have the well-being of your partner in mind and, and then that partner uh Sometimes what happened to me is I would want to see my son on nights that weren't mine because I was really lonely. And my ex-husband said, that's fine. You can have him. And that is so huge. Um, I think we got in a little bit of a competing to see who could be the better ex. And I think that's like a good competition. Like who could be, you know, who could be uh, more amenable or more flexible or, you know, less likely to flare up. I mean, he won that one. But but I won many other ones, like you know this. So, yeah, <laughs> I think that's helpful. Uh, and I guess the the well, one one. I mean, I could go on and on. But but what? But one other thing that we did that is not that common that I think is so helpful. Um, when you're arranging a co-parenting plan, it's very common to try to make sure the days and the nights are exactly even, and the, the week has seven days, right? So that doesn't really work unless you're constantly changing you know, it's three days, four days, you know, these kind of very complicated plans. And um, we had regular days. So I've had him four nights and my my ex-husband three nights and we've had regular days. So it's the same day every week. So like mm-hmm. I always have him Friday night and Saturday. He always has him Saturday night and Sunday. And what that means is that he and I can make plans in our own lives. Like I can, I can join a Zumba class every Tuesday night because he'll be at his dad's. So, um, I can take my son to synagogue on Saturday. He's always going to be with me on Saturday. And I've heard so many, um, just so many cases where parents get so involved in, is it fair? Are the hours equal? And this obsession with equality, it, it's not focused on quality for one thing, right? Like equality and quality are not the same thing. And yep. right, kids are asleep at night anyway. Like you can spend much more time in the day, like this where they sleep thing. And, and this kind of obsession with, with equality, you're 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 not really focused on the well-being of the child because maybe the child is more comfortable, you know, at this house that's closer to the school, more days or something. And you're not you're not focused on your own well-being. And so, mm-hmm. if you can get away from that, um, there's so much. Just in the case of religion, there's so many situations where one parent is religious and the other parent isn't, and the parent who's religious is not able to have the child um, participate regularly in a like a whether it's a youth group or a you know like a church a church group uh because they're constantly swapping weekends and Mm -hmm. it's sort of like the norm and i think it's a bad idea yeah i think it sort of negates the stability of it as well i've heard a lot of my a lot of my friends um i think we talk about separation and divorce too much when it comes to me and my friends hanging out and they mention when they're teenagers the fact that they went to one house during the week and one house on the weekend and then sometimes it would switch. One parent would, that parent from the weekday would get the weekend. So every fortnight it'd be balanced out. And it just, it seems so strange to them because especially on the days of the week where one parent lived closer to the school and was able to drop them in the morning. And then the you could see the dad rushing the kids to go out on the week. So it's just that that stability that sort of changed constantly. And it was so interesting to sort of hear their perspective and talk about that because it's just like it seemed like such a mess for the kid's brain for my friend's brain as it is just to be able to know who they're staying with that week it's just, 
we need to focus on a quality of hours that, you know, all the like psychologists in my book are saying, this is just not how relationships are built, right? Like the people yeah. you're close to, it's not because you sent, spent like a specific number of hours with them and more hours than you spent with the other. You know, it's the, the time together and what you do with the time is so much more important than that you have this equality of hours. And I think, you know, parents get insecure. They're worried that they're going to lose, the, you know, lose some kind of primacy with a child, which, you know, all of which I understand, but but the way to make sure that you have a primacy with your child is to have time together when you're really doing something, not just sitting next to each other on the couch watching television, but, you know, but I've got my three and a half days. Like that, that, that I think is a disaster. And also, yeah. you're right, the like kids don't know. He had a calendar. Uh, my son was four and a half. So we had a calendar and he had a shark stamp and a dolphin stamp. So we went through and we put the shark stamp on the daddy days or the nights. This was for the nights. And it's a dolphin stamp on the mommy nights. And so he has had a really good sense of what a month looks like and what a week looks like and where he's going to be. And you definitely talk to kids who have these schedules that are changing all the time. And when they're little, they, you know, they don't know how many days are in a week. Like it's this, you know, it's a, it, 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 it feels chaotic um, because, because it is chaotic. Yeah. And now Talking into a little bit more about extended family members, and I know that you mentioned this a little bit earlier when it comes to the amount of times that you spend with um, extended family members as well. How can extended family members support and provide support and contribute to the resilience of individuals and families that are going through the separation? That's a great question. It's a great question because... um, it, it's hard to, again, this with children, it's, you know, it's hard to be the only adult in the house. It's hard. It's, and if you've got more than one child and they're little or if they're teenagers, so extended family members can be so valuable with things like, can I bring over dinner? Or do you want me to babysit so you can go out? Or um, what would be helpful to you, right? Just what would be helpful to you? And it might be something um, that is very practical. My mm-hmm. sister sent me uh, a Keurig coffee maker after my husband moved out because we were living in a townhouse and the coffee maker was downstairs and the bedroom was upstairs. And I was like, how am I going to make coffee before my first cup of coffee? Like, I, because he made the coffee and I, you know, this was like, it's minor, but it was really, and my, so my sister sent me this Keurig and I just put it in my bedroom and I could wake up and push the button and, you know, have the coffee and so things like that, you know, that's a very small thing, but it really helped because that was the issue for me. Um, I also think as an extended family member, you could think about what your strengths are. But, you know, if you have a lot of money and you're, you know, you have somebody's going through a divorce and they're having trouble furnishing their apartment, maybe you buy a bit, you know, if that's something you do. If they, I had a good friend who helped me when I, during a breakup, go to Ikea and buy stuff and that kind of emotional support and coming along can be very helpful. Um, if you have time on your hands and your your family member, you know, is alone at night or doesn't have the person that she went to the movies with and went to dinner with and, you know, sat around chatting with, you know, maybe be be that person if you're really great with kids or you love kids and, you know, offer to, can I take the kids to do something on Saturday afternoon or, you know, I think it's, I would I would say ask, you know, be open to it being something that seems not like so deep and um, psychological, but just logistical, uh, and then think of what your strengths are because you want to you want to give what you have, what you want to give. Mm-hmm. 
And I think that it's helpful um, as an extended family member um, to be inclusive of the ex. If, if you know, unless unless you're getting divorced and you never want to speak to this person again, it's not helpful. Mm-hmm. But if you're getting divorced and you're, you know, and you have kids, or even if you don't, for the family members to to um, kind of celebrate um, what was good about your marriage, or this is a great guy, or my mom has a photo of my ex husband and me and my son up in her in her office. Um, you know, I'm not remarried, so that's not like offensive to like a new husband. So she, mm-hmm. you know, if I had a new husband and it made him uncomfortable, maybe she wouldn't do that. But because I'm not remarried, you know, she has, and it's nice. It's like she's keeping him. You know, she's keeping my ex husband in mind. She'll occasionally he'll travel and she'll ask to see photos you know that that I think Mm -hmm. I think it's helpful I think it makes me feel that my my family is more whole and intact yeah I I can definitely I think especially when it comes to um like for me with my dad's relationship with my grandparents on my mom's side they're still they still have whatsapp calls with each other they still talk with each other and especially because they live far away. They live back in Malaysia. And just as they're getting older, he's known them for about 30 years. And that relationship with him, with them is something that he really wants to hold. And he really wants to keep close to him because it's a really close relationship that they had when, when they were, um, he lived with them for a little bit. They lived with us for a little bit. And there was that, there's that close tie that he doesn't want to tie. And it's so nice to sort of see that relationship be really good. And then, and the both of them just being able to have normal conversations and not having that, um, the lack of information that they're, he's having to find out how they are through me or my sister. They can easily have that open communication between, between them that's not really, um, that's not really awkward. That's not really. And because my, I think it is because my parents aren't in other relationships that sort of makes it easier as well. They are, um, they are single, they are going through just dealing with their own lives. That makes it a little bit easier. I don't know how it would be if, um, they did get remarried or they did have other relationships, but for now that I see he's still keeping their his in-laws in mind and the same with my mom when it comes to my dad's parents as well they still she still sends emails and letters and photos of them photos of us to them as well so there's that whole idea of us of the family still feeling like it's a family and the memory of it and it matters to you too right I mean this you as like an adult child it matters to you I just think that's important for you know for people to to recognize it's you know, you're not just doing this for yourself. It's also your children, even if they're adults, right? That that feeling yeah. that... I also think the thing you're saying about keeping, knowing what's happening and not having to hear it from someone else, because I do think one of the things that's um, that's scary about divorce is that this feeling that you're out of the loop, you're, you know, you're disconnected, you don't know what's happening. And maybe you hear it from like a, you know, you hear something that your former spouse did or that your former spouse family did through like some remote, you know, some distant friend and you feel very like destabilized. So I think if you can, yeah, if you can keep communication so you hear it firsthand, uh, it like lessens anxiety. 
Yeah, so I think especially when it comes to my parents being so that's that they they're still in that family group chat. So my dad's still in the WhatsApp group chat that sort of goes along with my grandparents. Um, so they're able to have that communication, and there is that um, little jokes that my sister and I sort of see in the group chat that my dad still sees as well. Um, photos of my grandmother gardening that he still sees, and he's sending it to us, making sure that we've seen it and that we're liking it and. Like, I think birthdays are a big thing for us as well, where we're all still celebrating each other's birthday. And that was one of the things that we always did as a family tradition growing up. So for that to be kept alive and for us to really still celebrate each other's birthdays as normal, I think is was really one of the biggest things that sort of did remind us that we are still a family. There is that um, level of love and commitment to each other, which is great. So our final section of today is talking an open mic, which gives you a chance to anything that you're wanting to share with the audience and talk about something that you're passionate about. It can't be current work that you're working on as well. So uh, I'll give you the floor in the past, in the last like minute or so, I'd love for you to share something that you would love to share with our audience. Oh, thank you. I am so interested in positive psychology, which I think is pretty well known now, but um, it runs throughout my book. Um, and when I was doing um, a master's degree of social work during the pandemic, which I mentioned, I think before we started, I learned about something called positive cognitive behavioral therapy, which is kind of a blending of positive psychology and cognitive behavioral therapy, which is cognitive behavioral therapy is like the most common and popular therapy in the world. And so in cognitive behavioral therapy, if you're having a bad feeling or a bad thought, you stop and you look at like, well, what led me here? Like what kind of twisted thinking process led me to this bad feeling? And in positive cognitive behavioral therapy, you don't do that. You, in a way, you look at, uh, well, what have I done in the past that has helped me get through a difficult time? So say it's divorce, right? You, you build, you build a, personal model of resilience, this type of therapy, you build a personal model of resilience and you do this for yourself by looking back at other times, like other times I was in um, a challenging transition and what did I do that helped me get through it? And then you write it down, you know, like, oh, I joined, I got together with friends and I went to the gym and I started reading more. And then you go through, you do that kind of excavation work uh, about your your own life, but looking at your strengths, not looking at your weaknesses. And mm -hmm. then you build for yourself like, oh, here is how I get through difficult times or here's how I handle uncertainty or here's how I handle change. And then you have like on paper, a personal model of resilience. Like this is the way that I move forward. And I just think that that is uh, such a great and kind of cool tool. And um, I mean, you could look it up online, you could, you know, do it with a therapist, you could do it with a friend. Uh, and, it and it counters this tendency to focus on the negative that we've, that we've been talking about and that really get stirred up in, in divorce. So this is something I find like very exciting and interesting. No, that does sound like a really cool topic to sort of get into and to sort of research yourself as well to look deeper into it. Um, so thank you so much uh, for joining me on the show today and for talking about how to have actual, how to actually have a good divorce. And it sounds like there it's becoming such a um, a positive reinforcement for a lot of people when it comes to there's no longer that idea of, okay, you have to, because you're separated, you have to argue with them. You have to sort of 
have negative feelings about them. You have to absolutely hate them when sometimes it's just doing it to make sure that you still care about each other. So it's so great to sort of see the other side of it and that there is another side outside of the ugly separation of the ugly divorce that sort of takes place. So thank you so much, Wendy, for joining me. Um, It was really fun to talk to you. If there's a way that audiences would like to get in touch with you to either ask questions that I have missed or to get more information or to even learn more about the recent work that you're doing, is there a way that they are able to get into contact? Yeah, my website is wendyparis.com and it has my contact information, my Gmail address, um, which is wendyparis at gmail.com and things I've been working on and what I'm doing. So I think that's the best way. Okay, perfect. Well, I'll have those links down below for easy access for everyone. Um, Yeah, so thank you guys so much for listening. I will see you all in the next episode. You've been listening to All Together, the Family Science Insights Podcast, produced by the Family Science Labs, a division of LMSL, the Life Management Science Labs. More episodes are available from 10 life management perspectives and can be found by searching LMSL on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and other podcasting apps available on your devices. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider rating our show, sharing it, and subscribing to our channel as it helps other people find it so that we can grow and bring you more quality resources. More of our work can be found on our website at fa.lmsl.net where you can join our movement. I'm Dina Sargent. Thanks for tuning in.